Welcome to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Welcome to this edition of Breaking Bad News. I'm Jeff Hahn, and with me, as always, is my buddy, Jenny Gorgorsik. Jenny, welcome. Good to see you. Good to see you, too, Jeff. Jenny, you are on the opposite side of the table from me. I mean, we've switched chairs. We're really shaking things up over here. That's right. um, I know why, though, because this episode is going to be themed all around the notion of paradox. And so, yeah, this is... uh, our change in seating arrangement is meant to alter states, rattle the cage, so to speak. I like it. It's it's definitely doing it. We're going to look back at May because you know what that means, right? Is it recall of the month time? <laughs> yes. Hey, recall of the month. Somebody's going down. Off the top rope. <laughs> You're coming. Have you, have you ever watched that? Um, well, it used to be called All-Star Wrestling when I was a kid, but it's... Uh, World Wrestling Federation or WWE? Do you no, watch that? I think I don't think I'm in their core demographic. Oh, <laughs> well, I can imagine you coming off the top rope onto your recall of the month. Oh, okay. A, yeah, with an elbow smash, maybe a suplex, suplex or a mm-hmm. atomic drop. That's a terrifying visual. Yeah, All right, this would be amazing, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> we're gonna have fun this time because we're gonna be uh, using this notion of paradox and bouncing back and forth in our conversation on some trends that we've seen, and yet there are other trends that we've seen. And these seem to bounce off of each other, and they create a real, I don't want to say it's confusing in the food space, but it gives you a picture of how challenging the food space can be, right? Yeah, absolutely. The pattern of our our podcast then is, has been to present trends, and then you go into your recall of the month. But to get into it today, I want to play a paradox-setting game with you called the bridge game. Mm, like bridging from media training? That's exactly right. Ah. You know, our buddy Russ Ray, um, Russ teaches this technique in predictive media. It's sometimes called a pivot. Sometimes he'll call it a dodge. Um, but it's a very effective way to move from a negative question that a reporter might try to, you know, kind of like a gotcha question into a positive message that you want to deliver. So. I'm going to deliver an idea, I'm going to say a statement, and you might interpret it to be negative, but you, because you are a very practiced media profession, media relations person, you get to turn it into a bridge, you get to bridge mm. and then turn it into a positive. Okay. Do you think you're up for it? Yeah, I'll have to channel my, my inner Russ Ray. He's the best bridger I've ever seen. He also produces our podcast too. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna channel my inner Russ today. Yeah. What Russ would say is, "What's really important?" That's right. That, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, how about a practice? Okay. All right. Let's do it. I'm gonna give you a scenario, one that may be very familiar to you. I don't exactly know, but this may be very familiar to some of our listeners. You are driving in your car, and you look in the rearview mirror. The there's a police car behind you. Lights are all lit up, you're getting pulled over. You're getting stopped by this cop, and as she's walking up to your door, you you know that you're in trouble. And you're probably, she's get, you're getting stopped for a reason, and you probably know what that is. Yeah. Uh, so very sheepishly, you roll down your window, and, and she asks, ma'am, do you know how fast you were going? 
I call this the Dave Matthews Band question. <laughs> right. And that, <laughs> that song in your head, what would you say, is exactly the question that you have to answer. <clears throat> this is your moment to bridge, Jenny. So to the police officer, what would you say? Oh, gosh. Well, this is a scenario that hits close to home, probably for <laughs> probably Oops. for most of us out there, um, not just me. So, you know, I could say, I have no idea why you pulled me over, officer, but that would make me a bad driver or a liar. Or I could say, oh, I was going the speed limit, uh, but that would also be a lie. So You're going to jail for perjury then. Yeah, yeah. so neither of those are... Are great bridges. So, what would I say? You need a good. You need a clever bridge. Something that's gone to. It ha, it it has the opportunity to get you off the hook. Okay, I've got one. How, how about this one? You know, officer, the important question here to ask is not one of speed, but it's of safety. And I was driving for safety, and in this circumstance, a lot of crazy stuff was happening. Um, so, you know, a little extra speed here actually made traffic safer. I was I was doing the safe thing by going a little bit faster. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, all right. Um, that's a good bridge. And what do you think the mm. uh, police officer would say? She'll he would say, hand me my ticket. <laughs> here's your ticket. <laughs> yep, here's my ticket. Yeah, nice try. Nice try. But um, it is a good bridge. And when you move from a negative question that's going to put you in a bad situation into a positive like you just attempted to do in that scenario, um, you get the gist of it. And mm -hmm. that's what we're going to do today. Our team was over at the International Deli, Dairy, and Bakery Association Conference a few weeks ago. Rolls right off the tongue. Yeah. I-D-D-B-A. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have to practice that on a regular <laughs> basis. Um, and they brought back all these interesting trends, uh, which when I looked at them, I started crashing them together. And I thought, Holy crap. What in the world is going on here? My head was kind of spinning. So I'm going to use this opportunity to present you these, um, some of these trends, each of which has a paradox. I want to see if you actually read what I uh, wrote in my report to you when I was bouncing these back and forth. Mm -hmm. you know, I write these things uh, as part of my role of research for you. And I'm not sure you ever read the crap I write, so. Oh, I do, I do. I'll prove it to you today. Don't worry. <laughs> so this is going to be a test. This is gonna, uh, this will be All right. a, a supreme gauntlet thrown. Yeah. Okay. Ready? Here's the first. Okay. I wrote in my report, generation crossing inflections like word use are interesting. They are trending in the language that we use around food, especially ethnic food. So. I'll make the statement. Ethnic food is losing its appeal. Hmm. That is a bold statement, Jeff Hahn. Okay. Here's here's my first bridge back to you. Actually. Oh, yes, that's a good bridge. Mm -hmm. That's a one-word bridge. One word. It's yeah. one of my favorites. Yep. Millennials and Gen Zers are less likely to say that they're actually going out for Mexican food these days because they're more likely to say they're going out for tacos. So we're seeing people start to talk about things like wanting tabbouleh, but they're not saying, hey, let's go out for Lebanese food. So this is, it's interesting because it's a psychographic adaptation here, um, showing us that this diversity that we see across generations is 
really impacting the lexicon that we use in the way of talking about food. So I would say ethnic food is not losing its appeal. We're simply talking about it in a different way. The language is changing. Right. And I guess it's a reflection, too, that um, millennials, to a great extent, but Gen Zers, to a full extent, that generation is the most diverse in the history of the country. Right on, absolutely. All right, so good. All right, you, we, you've uh, you win that round of <laughs> ding, uh, ding, the ding. bridge game. Good I'm, job. I'm keeping score. Don't worry. And a one-word bridge, which will make Russ very happy because uh-huh. he's he's the master of bridging. That's his favorite, I think. <laughs> All right, I've got a grocery store trend for you. Ten stores are renovating in order to create curbside pickup space. And we've seen it even around here, how there's a lot of construction around stores to make room, not only for the curbside pickup, but also the curbside shoppers that they have inside the stores. Um, This trend has been acronymed already. Have you heard it? BOPIS, Mm -hmm. B-O-P-I-S. It's buy online, pick up in store. BOPIS is a direct response to consumer preference, growing consumer preference for convenience. And um, I guess it was, uh, I, I think it was a Fortune magazine where I read that it's expected to be a $35 billion channel for grocery by 2020, which is next year. Walmart has uh, BOPUS already at over 2,000 stores. So that's my trend, that curbside pickup, BOPUS is going to overtake in-store shopping. You know, um I've read a a lot about that, Jeff, and there's some really interesting things happening in this in this space. But here's what I'm focused on. (laughs) That's the bridge. (laughs) That wasn't very subtle. Um, (laughs) The I think we can't ignore. How about this? Let me try that again. I think that's an important trend, but the bottom line is this. Oh. Retailers can't get away from focusing in-store, and what we're going to see in-store over the next few years is a much larger focus on the perimeter of the store as the space in the center of the grocery stores shrinks, and we see these retailers really try to um, make the perimeter of their stores, the, the fresh areas of their stores, differentiated. So we're seeing lab store type concepts from brands like Kroger. They've got their um, Kroger's Kitchen 1883. And it's really more of a restaurant than it is a traditional retailer. And it's it's a lab store. So it's kind of a test kitchen for local products. Um, and you see this inside of your grocery stores. But these are places where you have to get out of your car and get into the store. So while curbside and delivery are huge opportunities for retailers. We, I think the most important point is that retailers can't ignore the in-store shopping experience too. Oh, wow. You Do you use curbside? I do, I'm a big fan of it. Oh, and you, I think you also told me you used some delivery too. I do, all of the above. I'm a, I'm a shopper, I like to go inside still, but, I, but, and the middle of the store is important to me because typically in the few stores I go to, that's where the beer aisle is, <laughs> right in the middle. But, you know, that's also typically where um, the less interesting products are paper goods, cleaning products. Greeting uh, cards or flowers. And the snacking category is huge, but consumers are looking for something different in the snacking category, which is why you see a lot of snack foods placed around the perimeter of the store now because they're natural, 
healthier, less processed um, than, you know, folks going for a bag of Doritos. Does it mean that the end caps are going to get more uh, important than Absolutely. ever? Absolutely. That real estate is going to be higher priced? That's always been really okay. valuable real estate, but I think now more than ever. And, you know, um, I, I think I'm a, a great example of why there are so many of these options out there. Yes, I love curbside. I love delivery. But when I have time, I do love to go and shop, especially in, you know, stores like Central Market, where it's a great experience to go spend a couple hours just cruising up and down the aisles and checking out everything that they have or Whole Foods. Um, so I think consumers really want options. Uh, and retailers are very quickly getting up to speed to deliver those options. It depends on the day, right? Today I'm right. in a hurry. I need curbside. Tomorrow mm-hmm. I want to I wanna take some time to stroll around. So yep. I'm going inside. Kids are in the car today. It's curbside by myself going in. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, w- I might think about it in the opposite way. So I'm leaving the kids in the car. That's probably illegal. <laughs> yes. I think that's also where the flashing lights come back, Jeff. <laughs> oh, then I'm going to have to have a really good bridge. Yep. Okay. I've got another one for you. Ready? Okay. We were talking about real estate in the store, like the end caps. There's also real estate on the plate. The center of the plate, especially in the American diet, has typically been reserved for protein. But it's become the domain, what we heard at IDDBA was, it's become the domain of the flexitarian. And this was a term that was created by a dietitian several years ago, maybe a little over a decade ago, Don Jackson Blattner. But I remember reading about it back then that mm, that felt like a strange idea that would never get any traction, but it's here now. And the trend we saw at IDDBA and in their report was that meat purchases in the U.S. are trending down by two and a half percent. So it must be, it must mean that um, meat, the flexitarian part of this conversation, is getting replaced. Hmm. Okay. Here's my bridge. Um, in fact, you know, experts really aren't aligned on that idea just yet, Jeff. Here's what we're seeing. Um, At the same time, we're seeing deli meat trending up at about the same rate, uh, along with grass-fed beef. Um, And so we're seeing the sale of animal proteins at up more than 130% over the last few years. Um, You know, in full transparency, we work with, with the beef industry, and so we follow animal protein consumption numbers very, very closely. And um, these plant-based diets represent, or plant-based alternative proteins represent, gosh, less than 1% of the market share right now. So while it feels like this is something that's really bubbling up and something certainly these um, industry groups need to pay attention to, it's it, it hasn't impacted the American diet in the way that you might think. This is, uh, it's making news, but it's really not, from a consumer standpoint, you would say a trend. Right. That's uh, upsetting the traditional marketplace or even the the dinner plate. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, I got a quick one here for you. Ready? What we learned at the conference was that the ingredient U.S. adults are trying to cut down on or avoid the most is sugar. But the term sugar-free is no longer a selling point. What do you say to that? That's a great question. Um, You know, if you look at it another way, that's a good bridge right there. You'll yeah. you'll see that desserts actually make up about half of U.S. 
grocery bakery sales. <laughs> so we're trying to cut down or avoid sugar. Uh-huh. And sugar-free isn't necessarily a selling point, so we don't like to hear it. Uh, what we like to do instead is sneak a cake into our grocery <laughs> bag. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to watch sugar consumption patterns over the last decades. I mean, think about the 90s when it was no sugar, sweet and low was was all the rage. All these, sweet uh, and low and equal. Yeah. The then Splenda, mm-hmm, yeah. then Splenda followed. But now we're really back to the real deal. Um, you know, a lot of times folks are going to reach for a regular Coke rather than a, a diet Coke because if you're going to have a soda, then in a lot of ways, from a health perspective, that full real sugar is we've learned is, is better for you and your body processes it in a, in a better way. Um, like so, sugar in the raw, too, has, uh, has come up. That's that's made a footprint inside the, sh- the sweetener market. Exactly. So I completely agree sugar-free is not a selling point at all anymore. So while we're trying to cut down on our sugar, um, I think the, the interesting thing here is um, when we are, when Americans are looking for something sweet, they're going for something full sugar, not diet, sugar-free, anything like that. I uh, gotcha. Okay. Well, Jenny, I think so far you're beating me at the bridge game. I thought I could stump you by now, but um, your bridges are very effective. I'm going to, I'll tell you what, I'm going to reload with another idea, and then we'll get to, um, through that paradox, to another paradox in the form of your recall of the month pick. Okay, let's do it. This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Welcome back to the second half of our May Recall of the Month podcast. Jenny, you've been, um, so far... Very effective in dodging and parrying my trend questions. I'm proud of you. You've been listening to our media training program really well. I think maybe you've been uh, listening to it at night while you're sleeping. So (laughs) you're good at these bridges. But I've got a really good paradox for you that I don't know. I don't think you can bridge out of. I think you're going to get stuck by this one. Are you ready? I, I think so. All right. Here we go. Millennials, as it turns out, are the biggest purchasers of organic products. 40% of their shopping carts are filled with organics. Um, what could possibly counter that trend? Hmm. That's, a, that's a really interesting question, Jeff. I'm so glad you asked that. That's a technique to buy some time while I think about what my response <laughs> true. is. I've stumped her, I think. Yeah. <laughs> How about this? You know, um, we're seeing a lot of these cell-cultured meat producers that are creating proteins in the lab, and they're predicting that these proteins will one day completely feed the global population the meat that it that it needs by growing it from cells in these bioreactors. And millennials are the ones that are, in fact, driving this market. Um, so to our discussion earlier about uh, about protein consumption, while it's still a these animal or these um, uh, non-animal protein alternatives are still a very very small part of the overall meat market. 
Um, you know, there's Beyond Meat, for example, they make plant-based burgers and they went public recently and their valuation is up to nearly 10 billion. Yeah, yeah. $10 billion. Yeah. So roof. not bad for a company that's not profitable yet. So I think, again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, small part of the market share now, but certainly something that these industry groups need to need to pay attention to. All right. So I think you effectively countered my trend. I was talking about organics. You countered with the fact that cell cultured meat products, which aren't I don't. I don't think you can call them organic, can you? No. I mean, it's it's goo. But um, you've countered that millennials are driving both of those trends. Yeah, it's a stretch. I see. That's a good one. <laughs> I I think you countered well, but I do. Uh, I don't believe you actually bridged. So uh, we'll have to go back and listen. But I think I won that particular round. Oh, you you may have. That was a tough one, Jeff. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Well. They, I I do really think that millennials are driving. The organic trend, and I'm not surprised to hear the number of 40% of their shopping carts have organic products in them. What's really important, Jenny, <laughs> is that uh, you failed to bridge effectively. That's right. Good job, so Jeff. That's what I want you to win. Acknowledge. You win. <laughs> that's what you wanted me to say. That's right. Okay. With that, I can declare a minor victory after you won 17 of the first 18 <laughs> rounds. Um and we can move to recall of the month. We got actually we actually have a paradox inside of this. We what do. do you want to talk about this time? Well, we've been talking a lot about the alternative um, and traditional meat industry today. So let's keep going on that theme because our food recall of the month this month is ground beef. And I'll tell you a little bit about what happened here. Um, and this was kind of in the middle of the month last month, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Well, this actually started way back in March. So at the end of March, I'll give you kind of a rundown of the oh, timeline. Okay. Yeah. Uh, there was an outbreak of E. coli. Important to note. Yeah. Um, Asheria. That's right. Um, Somebody ought to write a song about that. <laughs> <laughs> so this was at the end of March. Kentucky and Georgia government officials alert the CDC about this E. coli outbreak. Um, Then, gosh, it was about a week later, the CDC announces that they're looking into these E. coli illnesses. So people had actually become ill. And then towards the end of April, they recalled, um, gosh, about 160,000 pounds of raw ground beef from two companies. There was... um, Grant Park Packing, they're based in Franklin Park, Illinois, and K2D Foods um, out of Carrollton, Georgia. Wait, now, uh, here's a little paradox within the paradox. K2D is in Carrollton, Georgia, Uh but they go by the brand name Colorado Premium Foods. Yeah, that's weird. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's okay. a that's a paradox. I cannot bridge out of that. No, no, that's just a, I don't, I don't know why that is, but, <laughs> but you're right. Okay. Um, so anyhow, this one has drawn a ton of attention because it's a multi-state outbreak. Yep. People have become ill, and um, you know it's a it's a pretty big recall. And um, and we've got lawsuits too. And you got a lawyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, gosh, just a day after the initial recall, there was a first lawsuit that was filed, um, and I think right now the outbreak has been going on for gosh, close to three months, two months. Um, almost 200 people were ill. I think I read about 
15 or 16 percent of those folks had to be hospitalized. Yikes. Wow. Um, but and the CDC then issued the reason this got into the May is because that's when CDC finally issued this. The, yes. The food safety alert. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they haven't. Uh, they hadn't named a source of the beef of the tainted ground beef yet. So um, they're expecting that there may be more illnesses and and, and more recalls. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have seen E. coli um, as uh, as the uh, reason for some of these recalls, uh, but there's also salmonella, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And last year, actually, um, we saw a lot more uh, impact on, from salmonella on ground beef recalls than than E. coli. Yeah. Um, so I think you know we had millions of pounds of ground beef recalled uh, based on salmonella last year, but we did have a smaller E. coli outbreak last year that that caused one death. So, By the way, not confined simply to um, ground beef. Even in the part of the conversation we were having about plant-based alternatives, mm-hmm. Impossible Foods had, an, had a recall very similar. Was that a salmonella recall? Yep, I think, think so. I think I remember yep. that. That's right. We did a whole podcast episode on it, so we'll we should have to, remember. We should remember that. <laughs> if we listen to our own podcast, <laughs> we might. <laughs> But, you know, I think the, the interesting thing about this ground beef one to to point out is that, of course, the CDC and USDA are reporting on the recall, but neither of the companies that have been involved have provided any kind of public comment. There's no website updates on Grant Park Packing or K2D Foods. Um, there's no social media. Neither, really? neither of the brands even have a social media presence, which is not surprising. They're a B2B organization. They don't sell to consumers directly, so yeah. there's no there's no reason to. Um, you know, and, the, and the, I don't think that this is uncommon that a commodity brand like this would stay quiet during a recall. Um, it's not like, like I said, they're B2B teams, so they don't have huge communications teams or PR agencies to, um, you know, to manage this for them. Mm-hmm. So they let regulators take the lead, and I think that's completely common in normal course of business. But it'll be interesting to watch if this one does grow to see if they do make any kind of public statement. No, I um, I understand they are they are um, ingredient brands, so to speak. I gotta say, I'm as a crisis guy myself, and in the age of transparency that we're living in and the demand for um, uh, an understanding of what food am I eating, where is it coming from, it's... Um, I have a growing discomfort with even ingredient brands or commodity brands not being forthcoming, not taking the lead on uh, issues like this. You know, it's not a function necessarily of wanting to sell them a crisis plan, although that would be cool from my standpoint. But um, <laughs> I, I just, I just have this growing sense that um, it's not going to be acceptable in the future, and it's. Uh, for a brand to not communicate like this. I mean, do you have the same, are you getting the same vibe off of the industry? You know, I, yes, and I would love to see these brands be a little bit more proactive, but that's just the the status quo. There's no, there's no consumer brand equity in any of these brands. No one had ever heard of K2D or Grant Park before before this, and they probably won't hear of them after too. So there's no, the business case 
is not is not there for these brands to really take a public stance whether or not it's the right thing to do I think that's a, a different question but I think going back to my bridging what's most important here <laughs> about this case study is yes while people have become sickened and E. coli is not a fun thing by any means um, it hasn't it hasn't impacted consumer confidence in the ground beef industry. I mean, oh, so there's the paradox. That's right. Yeah, there it is. We have a lot. Of, um, we have ground beef recalls, mm-hmm. and they're not uncommon. Mm-hmm. But you're saying that um, consumption is still high. Yeah, especially because if you look at a percentage of these recalls compared to the percentage of ground beef consumed in in the country, um, it's such a small, such a small percent. Uh, our ground beef supply is very, very safe generally. So I think that's why it hasn't impacted consumer confidence here. Well, okay. I'll, will add that to my trends report and then I will send it back to you as if I was the one who invented that idea. Oh, great. Taking I, credit. Yeah. Then mm-hmm. I, yeah. I'm going to take credit for that. Sure. Then I want you to actually respond to it this time and say, oh, Jeff, I really appreciated your report this, this month. I'm, I'm picking up on, I'm not responding to enough emails. Okay, got it. <laughs> Somebody's feeling underappreciated. Under- understood. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we've had fun today, Jenny, talking about this. It's a really challenging industry. Paradoxes all abound. And your recall of the month helped bring out that uh, same notion. So good pick. I liked it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Sorry to tell you, Grant Park Packing in Franklin Park, Illinois, and Colorado Premium Foods, not in Colorado. You are on the list of Jenny's Recall of the Month. That makes you famous. (laughs) Uh, Sort of. (laughs) Thanks, Jenny. Thanks, Jeff. See you soon. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News with Jenny Gregorsik and Jeff Hahn from Apron Food PR. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes. It really helps. It really helps.